right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. We've got the Sunday Morning General Conference recap for April Fool's Day 2012, and that feels like an appropriate way to begin this conversation. I have with me, this is Greg. I'll be uh, hosting this uh, quick discussion. I have with me Whitney and Meredith and Isaac. Thank you all for coming on. Hello. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. I am so excited. So, all right, let's jump right in. We had uh, Henry Eyring conducting today an opening prayer from Brent Nielsen, which I, uh, who I presume is in the 70, and, um, you know, as opposed to the closing prayer, Brent Nielsen gave the perfect prototypical, short, unobjectionable, um, great opening prayer, no sermon. Any, anybody, uh, dis, uh, anybody disagree with that statement? I skipped the prayers. You're like, I was getting coffee at the moment. So, and then I wanted to make a quick note on that. We need Starbucks in the basement of every temple. That would just make <laughs> things so much easier. And if you have not ever done general conference on a couple of cups of coffee, you wonder why you're falling asleep during it. I guarantee. Oh, if I'm so, at the temple, how can I get the truths of eternal life if I'm falling asleep? That's, give me some coffee. Give, me, give some, me a French roast. Give me some coffee. Give me an espresso. Anyway, and, and general conference on two cups of coffee was, was enormously easier to follow. So that's, yes. that's all yes. I got to say. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Let's jump in. Dieter Uchtdorf, who wants to start off here? It was beautiful. Oh, go for it, Meredith. I, 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 after feeling this in my life, you know, for the first time having someone that I'm angry at, it was just beautiful to have, to be reminded that forgiveness is for yourself. So you forgive because it makes you feel better. It felt very... Eastern, you know, life yes. is, he even said life is to let go, to learn how to let go. I, I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. I think the Dalai Lama could have given this address. Yeah. Which, which was really beautiful. I think it made it very universal. I was wondering throughout a lot of these talks, one of the questions I, I had was, uh, are, are we expecting non-Mormons to be tuning in? And if so, like, is that why we're aiming things this direction? And that quickly disintegrated as the rest of the session proceeded. But with this with this talk, I thought, wow, this is very relevant to anyone, and I think anyone can look at this and say, yeah. what a great Sunday morning sermon for me to be flipping channels and, and happened upon. Yeah. Um, so I agreed absolutely on some of the Eastern notes and very universal notes there. Whitney? And I just love how he said we assign dark motives yes. to their actions in order to justify their feelings of resentment because we – it's that whole collusion that, that, you know, um, that so many people talk about where you just like – just to make yourself feel better for feeling bad by assigning the blame and so easy to do, but so treacherous. He responded. He responded with stop it. I mean, he said we have to stop it in no unclear terms, which was nice, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. I I want to say this is maybe, and maybe it's just my frame of reference. This is maybe the best general conference talk I have ever heard. I mean, I I was I was I was typing on Facebook. I was like, I could belong to this guy's church. Like I I could I could do this. Um, It's because it was the Dalai Lama. It's because it was the Dalai Lama. That's why. Well, it's just the best that human. It's just the best that human interaction and relationship advice has to offer. Like talking about how we regard ourselves versus how we regard others. How we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We understand our motives, and so we give let ourselves out. We view everybody else simplistically, and we and we paint them in a dark picture. Um, And and you know, and this was also, by the way. 
Oaks gave a talk a few years ago about righteous judgment, and this is a perfect repudiation Counter of that, that absolute Ooh. piece of shit talk that <laughs> Oaks gave, which was basically giving everyone permission for judging people, and it just was – it's terrible. And this talk says – he. I loved how he said, I can't – I can't – Think of a way to explain more passionately or more eloquently oh. how I want you to understand mm -hmm. that you cannot judge. I was like, oh. I loved that because it, it felt to me like he was saying, I, I can feel this principle and it's so hard to communicate because it's a feeling. It's a feeling of love that you have to just embrace. I can't even talk like you can't even really describe it. I thought that I, was great. I appreciate it in terms of the the sermoning that he was doing. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Elder Bednar gave a talk where he quoted Alma Five and went through the Alma Five questions. Uh, Uchtdorf said, "Forget that. I'm going to write new Alma Five questions. Do you harbor a grudge? Do you gossip, even if it's true? Do you secretly envy? Stop it." And, and he and yeah. he made it an, his own sermon that was extremely useful and not a recapitulation of some other. Uh, garbage that we've heard, which is which is an excuse to criticize or judge others. This was this was excellent and very needed. The only the only problem that I can see coming out of this talk is more um, justification for um, just people who are already feeling like they have so many people to forgive, people who are abused, things like that. Feeling more guilt about maybe I should give these people another chance when really you should just. There are people that you should True. legitimately not have contact with. That's the one concern that, warning, there are people you should just, you should forgive for your own self, but don't worry about letting them back into your life. That would have been nice to have a little bit of like, and if you have someone abusive in your life, forget about them and move on. You know, that, that would have been nice, but try to listen to the good part of it. Don't, don't get sucked into this feeling of, but what about when I'm abused? That, that's no. what I was trying to say because I excellent. loved it. I think it was perfect. No, an excellent, an excellent needed a point. Very needed point to bring up. That's, that's excellent. Um, the moment we judge another, we condemn ourselves for none is without sin. And he said – this was such a great line. He said, the Savior has spoken so clearly about this that there is little room for private interpretation. Amen. And then he said unequivocally again, don't judge. Um, and uh, and then of course the great bumper sticker, which should which oh, yeah. you know between stop it and don't judge me because I sin different than you. <laughs> oh, oh I'm I'm gonna make so many memes on that. Yeah, that was just it was just absolutely brilliant. Beautiful. And, and uh, so Whitney, we've kind of trampled all over you. Any any final thoughts on that talk? Just just the one when he was describing how we bring about this change of heart, he talked about doing it through the gospel of Christ, which was like it was almost like a run on sentence gospel of Christ through the love of God, follow his commandment commandments, love Heavenly Father, and then it came back to loving others. Um, but it wasn't it seemed to me like it was almost like a, a plug sentence, like, Oh yeah, you gotta do that through the gospel of Christ and through yeah. keeping the commandments. Like, got to throw that in there. Like, yeah, I felt like the person who read his talk was like, don't forget to put in, you have to do the commandments. Right, <laughs> right. It felt like that, very much so. Like, the rest of the talk, you're like, yes, yes, I can't judge others. I got to look at myself. I, you know. Yeah. And then yeah. there's that, like, two sentences where he was talking about that. And you're like, um, and what exactly does this mean? And how do we do that? How, how yeah. do we reconcile those two things together? That's so confusing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think so. I think that's an interesting point, too. Okay. Russell Nelson, let's talk about tropical fish. Who feeds the freaking fish? Oh, man. The watchmaker does, apparently. Um, 
So I, I, I loved – you get in the middle – in the beginning of this talk, not, not right at the beginning, but it gets a little bit of the talk. And then all of a sudden we get Surgeon Nelson checking in and he goes through how amazing the body is. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm so impressed. The church is an anti-science. This is great. And then you realize that this bait and switch where all he was doing was setting you up for an irreducible complexity argument a la Michael Behe. And then he has the, um, the encyclopedia – yeah, the big the uh, the big bang plug about um, yeah. the encyclopedia being created out of a printing shop explosion, which is just a, a totally again ironic. a William Paley watchmaker analogy derivative. And so it was just like you just said. My great. note was, my note was, oh wait, the church is anti science. You just set the LDS cultural view of evolution back twenty years, maybe like fifty years. I, I mean, but it also setting itself up bash when science proves all these things. When, when we figure it out, you know, it, it, it'll just cause a lot of dissonance in the future. In the future and, and now. I mean, yeah. you, you get later talk comments about how we use reason and faith, which I interpret as we use reason and not reason to get revelation because apparently we don't actually use reason. It, it, was, it was really upsetting um, for me anyway. Uh, so let's go back. I have one quick nitpick, which is he talked about talking with this uh, tropical fish, you know, and do they ever thank you? No, not yet. And then he says – Something to the effect of, because I didn't get the exact words, but, and then my mind went to certain people that I know who don't thank their own creator. Like he, and I, and I was on this wonderful high of like, don't, <laughs> I was on this wonderful high from Uchtdorf's don't talk. Don't, don't think about other people's imperfections and judge them based on their <laughs> different sin than yours. Oh, yeah. And Nelson comes in and says, and then I thought, you know, I, I'm really good at having gratitude, but I know all these people who aren't good at having gratitude. And I and let's think about how wrong they are for that. And I was like, oh, dude, kidding. Anyway. Buzzkill. So yeah, and then family are important. Thanks be to God, though. Thanks be to God. That. Yeah, thanks be to God. My Catholic meme. grandmother, she would have been cracking up during this talk. She would have been cracking up. Why is thanks that? be to God. Oh, thanks. all the time she used to tell that to me. Thanks be to God. <laughs> No, the meme that came out of that is uh, ingratitude is a sin. Self-righteousness, what's that? <laughs> Self-righteousness um, is fabulous. <laughs> um, the heart works almost indefinitely, and I was like, if it's like without disease or whatever, it works almost indefinitely. I was like, how did 80 years become near eternity? But uh, that's he, – <laughs> and he gave plug to the capacity for reproduction, which I was happy about. Anytime we give a plug for the fantastic capacity for reproduction in conference, I'm probably happy about that. <laughs> he, called it, he called it a sacred gift from God. I got to tell you, when I was in labor, it did not feel like a sacred gift from okay. God. But that's just me personally. I understand April that Fools. April, yeah, April Fools. <laughs> that's, the, that's the bait and switch on you, Whitney. You're supposed to focus on the that's input, right. not the output. Oh, my bad. <laughs> the miracle of life. I was supposed to be focused on the miracle of life. <laughs> but let me, let me talk a little bit about what he said about the family because – I didn't think maybe I'm wrong, but he didn't actually say uh, the plan. He talked about the plan of happiness being with families, but he never said uh, husband and wife. Is that mm. true? Yeah, I think that's true. He kind of glossed over the family part. Like he just started going. Like he started playing musical chairs. His description was a natural yearning for endless association with beloved members of one's family, which I thought felt coming off of the forgive and love, and that felt like. Yeah, the family is just about learning to love. Anyway, I feel like this talk, I could pick out a lot of different things in it that would give the church reason to accept same-sex marriage and this idea yeah. of mm. the family unit being the best social unit in for, you know, 
for the for the for earth and this like where you grow to learn love and and I think he might have done that not on purpose but he's got some good stuff in there yeah no that, I think that's interesting he did intone towards the end God is the same forever but we are not and so after sort right of, exactly yeah like exactly. after decrying evolution I was want I wanted to ask so do we evolve or not are we developing or not like our yeah. and and it's boy I mean. You don't have to dig into the God is the same forever. Uh, you don't have to dig far, very far into that trope to realize that it's completely un- indefensible. But okay. Um, yeah. My wife pointed out, he talked about qualifying for gifts. And she was like, how often do you ever qualify for a gift? Like, I guess you have to qualify by turning, like by having a birthday or something like that. But. Oh yeah, that's weird. Were we talking about yeah, conditional, unconditional love? Was that what yeah, that was? yeah? Well, yeah, there is that. There is that. That's you know that you catch all these little things that spark up over and over again about obedience. It's just deeply in our culture, and so you fe- you find that in the fill in the blank crap that people put in their talks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all this mm-hmm. stuff. You have kind of the keynote things, and then you have all this filler stuff that's just like typical Mormon talk, and you you could really look into I think the culture that we see there. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on this talk? Yeah, I, I had just one. I, I could go off on the creationism stuff and and whatever. But um, by the way, creationism not taught by biology professors. Evolution is taught very well. Anyway, <laughs> one thing that was really great was the little "you don't need a perfect body" spiel. Yeah, that was really that was really great. And he says some of the greatest you know people are housed in whatever. It didn't help, however, that when he was talking about imperfect bodies, he used the phrase "sweet spirit." I mean, that that wasn't yeah. helpful. But that was a throwback. Yeah, that was that was a little throwback to uh anyway, great 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 little throwback. But that was a great comment. I mean that that was the one little nice nice touch it was, of it was enough, it felt it felt like it was to me directed to women who are un, unable to conceive children. But I obviously my mind went on to other less traditional families that can't reproduce naturally. You don't need that working that working reproductive ability to to have the spiritual growth that he talks about, to learn about love and virtue and integrity and compassion and service to others, which is the most important progr- pro- progress that he talked about. Our spiritual progress is the most important. So that that was great, I thought. And, and Meredith, that's another plug for, um, you know, if you believe in a biological basis for homosexuality, you can then say your body, therefore, isn't perfect in the sense that you don't, in your present state, have a capacity for reproduction, but that's Amen. okay so that, again, that's a great that's a great point that you could bring that out to say maybe we're moving towards a post uh, heterosexual theology. Look, look for that post. I'm gonna I'm gonna post that at um, at FMH. So watch awesome. for it. God be praised. God willing. Um, let's use that segue because <laughs> Ronald Rasband uh, basically had a little fanboy moment um, about <laughs> Nelson and just quoted Nelson to Nelson. So did he immediately quote exactly from the talk yes. he just gave? Yeah. I think Nelson oh, no. quoted Nelson and then Rasband quoted Nelson formerly that Nelson had just quoted Nelson. It was, a, it was a, it was an echo chamber. I was checking my speakers to see if I'd had a, some sort it was of one eternal feedback round. loop, a feedback loop, feedback loop, a la one eternal round. Whitney, what, uh, what give us your thoughts on the Rasband talk? Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it mainly because of some of my personal experiences um, with my little brother. When he was two years old, he wound up in the pediatric intensive care unit. And you can just tell with Rasmund, you can tell that, that he's suffering right now because of his grandson, what's going on with that. And 
He gave comfort to anyone else who might be going through the same thing at any time. I mean, he talked about the plan of happiness and how that brings reassurance. And at the time, for me, it really did. Um, he, you know, everything he was saying, it just was, it's helpful for those who are suffering. So, yes. I can see that. I, I was thinking, I have to admit, so my son is, is very, at this point, you know, it, it doesn't show through, but we, he was, he's minorly autistic and, and we definitely were dealing with that when he was diagnosed. And, and we thought a lot about this idea of an imperfect body and what qualifies as an imperfection. Is the autism in him? Will he be, or will he all of a sudden be a different person in the resurrection? It reminded me when Nelson said in his talk that the spirit gives you your animation and your personality. And I thought, well, except for if your brain gets damaged and then your personality changes, how is that the spirit? So it, it does beg that question. Which what? is actually, that's my brother had traumatic brain injury as well as my best friend. When I was 18, this was all, this all happened when I was 18. Um, but my friend didn't have to have emergency room brain operation. My brother did. But it did significantly change his personality. So it also makes you question, you know, if our souls came from us to us and they were predestined, it brings up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, yeah, you want to talk to a neuroscientist about how, how do you parse out personality from um, um, neurochemistry? You know, <laughs> how does that, right. how do those two yeah. separate? Help me understand it. All right, Julie Beck, swan song from Sister Beck. Meredith, you start. Whitney, I want to hear from you. Let's, what did the women think? It struck me so hard how everything about the purpose of the Relief Society and the purpose of women are, is coming from a man's perspective and is given to us by men. And that was just pissing me off. But um, I did like, I do, I do like the three tenets of the Relief Society. The increased faith, strengthen families and home, which is everybody because everyone's in a family, and, and help those in need. And those are just, those are things that we can look at expansively. We don't have to look at, at them restrictively like I think so many people do, which is within our own realm of, um, you know, it can be a very... It should be, you know, everybody should have these three things as their goals. Yeah, that was my uh, question was, how is, this, how is this different than the men's purpose? Shouldn't that be everyone's purpose? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, but I, I do, I have mixed feelings about the Daughters in My Kingdom book. And I oh, yeah, do she like totally did a promo on that one. She was yeah. like, here's Daughters <laughs> in My Kingdom. It has timeless truth. Complete oh. with product placement. Yes, yeah. yes. Did you note that the Relief Society didn't publish Daughters in My Kingdom? The First Presidency published it, and the First Presidency distributed it, and the First Presidency wants you to study it, not not the Relief yes. Society. It, I, I have so many mixed feelings with that because I feel like that's such a letdown to women, but at the same time, our women are programmed to only respond to something that's from the First Presidency. So I feel like it had to so that the women would embrace it, but how depressing is that? Interesting. You know? But I, I, when she said the Relief Society is not a program, it is a divine portion of the Lord's church. It's a way of life for women. I, I have so many mixed feelings about that because I feel like that's an infusion of, of a nice rite of passage for women that women don't have. But at the same time, there's so many things that are flawed about it and are so like programmy and just like totally man-made. Nope. Speaking I'm, I'm going to say man-made there. <laughs> That yeah. it, it's not divine, but it can be, it is the one thing that women have. So I feel like, I don't want to say it's not divine, 
because that's super depressing that <laughs> we have nothing, absolutely nothing. Interesting. Whitney, go ahead. Speaking of Rite of Passage, uh, she also talked a little bit about the young woman preparing for Relief Society, which is, I don't know if that, to me, it seemed like she was trying to say, like, oh, you know, that transition period that is so awkward between young women's and Relief Society, you got to start preparing for that. That burden is on you to get ready oh, to go into Relief Society, um, which, which is a little concerning, to be truthful, because that transition is awkward enough for young women, so. Right. Oh, I just wanted to bring up the quote that she had from Kimball about distinct and different and happy ways from the rest of the world. That's Ooh. how our women are supposed to be. And Gag. Oh. Oh, my goodness. How? What, what is he talking about? What are they ever it's talking like, about? It's like, on one hand, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's telling that women, our, our women are better because they're happy, so you damn well better be happy, y'all. Right. And Don't then play. on the second hand, it's like, but it's yeah. not working. It's, it's, it's a failed prophecy. Our women are struggling. They're way more... Um, you know, it's record depression in Utah that's documented. And so what, what are we doing wrong? It's not that we're not serving enough. It's that something else is, is off. It's interesting. Something else is making us distinct and different and unhappy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. But can I, can I say one thing that I liked about it? Sure. She, she said, I forget who, what man said this was part of Relief Society, <laughs> but the point of a relief society was to relieve poverty, to relieve illness, to relieve Wait, death, so. and to relieve ignorance. And that last one I thought was gold. Uh. The relief society is to relieve ignorance. And, and, and so that's women are there to educate women, which is beautiful. It's a beautiful idea. And we're there to teach each other about our, what our potential is, which is beautiful. It's the one thing that make, makes it hard for me to, to stop going to church. It's that one, all those women there that I want to teach, like, you should be thinking for yourself. Like, that's, that's the beauty of Relief Society yeah. to me. That was John Wood. So I was going to say uh, one comment from the guy who's hanging out in the background. Um, rightfully so during this talk, I might add. Anyway, the, it sounded, to me, what I could see, the one contribution that, like, Julie B. Beck actually said herself was the sociality, friendship, and unity we desire – are not the purpose of our association, rather they're the sweet results of serving together with the Lord in his work. I thought that was cool because it said, this isn't just a girls club, it's this is serving the Lord, we are an integral part of serving the Lord, and we claim that, not some auxiliary, ancillary yes. part of the church. We are serving the Lord, and we get this beautiful association. Been to Relief Society, it was refreshing to say, to, to hear that, I mean, the because so many of our activities are well we can do this because we're supposed to we're supposed to bond so so we'll do this little fashion show because it felt like it was trying to get women to be meatier to be um to to strive more for the higher things and i i liked that i thought it was good and i like that she wasn't she that was she wasn't quoting a man when she said it she just said it yeah so so take take that anyone who still goes to church and raise your hand and give that as a comment in your elders quorum and, and quote a woman for once. Yes. Okay, Todd Christofferson, gotta say, not my favorite of the new crop of apostles. And what did uh, Isaac start us off here? Okay, I, I just, uh, I, you know, I, I liked Christofferson at first. I remember his first talk, I was actually on my mission, I'm gonna tell you how young I am, when he was called. And I remember thinking, wow, I really like this guy. His first talk was so excellent. And today I just said, wow, are we, are we really gonna insult intelligence scholarship again? 
Ex exegesis and hermeneutics. Oh, what's that? Can we note you have that? no idea what I just laughs. said, so you laugh. <laughs> so you laugh. And so can we note that the two big congregational laughs? I mean, Tommy didn't wiggle his ears and give us a laugh. We had a crack at the Big Bang, and we had a crack at biblical scholarship. Yep. And those were the laughs that we got yep. at our church. We laugh at intellectuals. Can I That's tell you, it reminded me of the um, the Devil Wears Prada, where she makes fun of the girl for laughing at how insignificant clothes are and just goes on and says, but this is because of this. It's just like, you don't really even realize how much all of our doctrine has come from this, and you're laughing at it. it it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was really upsetting. One of the things that... Um, one of the comments on, on Bicomic Consent that I thought that was useful about that, that he, that could have just been a populist remark just to make people who didn't know those words feel okay about not knowing what those words meant. But I don't, I don't huh. really think that that's what the point of the apostle, the, the apostle should say, we promote serious scholarship. Yeah. Go study the yes. scriptures, right. go support critical analyses of text, which by the way, exegesis and hermeneutics both just mean reading and interpreting text. That's what they mean. <laughs> Explaining text, but I, I was I was disappointed. I was disappointed in, in kind of very overt anti-intellectualism. Yeah. Um. That and you know that was very very disappointing. And then I guess he he goes on there. I don't know if there's any other comments on that, but he goes on into I thought um, a couple of interesting things. One was he he begins some apologetics that were basically I, I felt like directly responding to the recent uh, botgate at BYU, the uh, Blacks and the Priesthood mm -hmm. policy. Oh, yeah. And Romney. Let's give Romney and his Rom fair share and, and, the, and the press. And the press. And then we finally get this much-needed reading of that 2000 press release where it says, statements of general authorities, though well thought out, represent only opinions. We finally get that over the pulpit. That's cool. You know, that was, an incredible, that was an incredible thing. It opens a can of worms. The whole thing is a tr is a cluster. I mean, let's just – he starts off with the idea that he's like, well, there's a lot of interest. There's pers there's confusion that persists and the doc you know, early on in the days of the church, it was difficult to keep it straight. So let me just set it straight. The 1838 version of the first vision, that's the one you should be paying attention to. I mean that's the underlying – right? I mean the, yeah. there's a bunch of other confusion about them, but it's really simple if you just listen to what I say. Um, it, it felt like – it felt like the glory of God is not intelligence. It was get, getting rid of that, but the glory of God is like chain of authority. So you know, you know when things are doctrine when they go through these lines. It felt but then very the shocking. The shocking line of reasoning. Revelation. Oh, sorry. Oh. Follow divine revelation. That seemed like the point. And the divine revelation is limited to only but, those with the certain op apostolic callings. It was yeah. And only when they're speaking as a prophet, not when they're speaking right. as man. So it's like but the what? other side of it, the, the the like this weird circular thing was he says when he quotes J. Reuben Clark where he says that members will be able to tell if prophets are speaking as prophets yeah. if they feel the spirit. So then that's what that's saying is so it's not our fault if we said something wrong. You should have known the difference, dummy. You should have known that when I was speaking over the pulpit at conference and I said something and you didn't feel the spirit, I wasn't actually speaking as a prophet. The whole talk was head spinning because he says over and over how simple this is. He intones very basic Christian doctrine, but then he goes into these examples and like cherry picks historical events, cherry picks Brigham Young, the one time Brigham Young ever said, oh, I was wrong. Don't listen to me. <laughs> like, you know, okay, well, what about Adam God? What about blood atonement? What about um, po polygamy? What about racism? Like you are using these examples of like follow, you give the J. Reuben Clark quote that says 
that's completely also mind-bendingly impossible to understand what the heck he's saying. Some people have an endowment and some people don't. And then some people have a greater endowment. And you should, I mean, like, yeah. dude, so how are we supposed to distinguish? Like what a male thought about endowment. What's that? <laughs> I said, what a male thing to think about, about greater endowment. <laughs> some, some of us have greater endowments than others. Um, um, so, no, I, yeah, the, the, other, the other Clark quote was the one where he says that um, – first he says that if, if it's not something – something we say on one occasion doesn't necessarily represent doctrine. But I'm with you, Greg. What about if we said it on multiple occasions over a 30-year, 50-year, 100-year time period, racism, polygamy, etc.? Um, you know, then can we say it? But the, the, the Clark uh, quote says that members can tell – when they're speaking as a prophet because they'll feel the spirit. And so what that says to me is, oh, so now it's my responsibility to know whether or not you're acting as a prophet at any certain moment because you're just going to talk, but I'm the one who has to decide, so am I the prophet now? Well, or? ironically, I like I'm very comfortable I, I kind of like that. that because then I can say, <laughs> hell no, I didn't hear, feel the spirit during that, so I'm going to disregard it. Oh, no, yes. Yeah, so, right. yeah, so it actually gives some of the power back to the members. Like so, yeah, we could all decide together, nope. That, that didn't feel inspired. But let's well, yeah, exactly. be clear, they don't actually mean that. If I say, yeah, so your doctrine on homosexuality and on women is completely messed up, that's, that's, and I can tell because the spirit tells me, because my own internal compass tells me this is messed up, that, that does, that's not going to fly. That's disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, what I mean there is it seems, it seems counter, um, it seems contradictory to what he was saying before, which is the prophets will speak for everyone. Unless we get it wrong, in which case you should have known better. But now we're the ones who are authorized to receive it, except there's this caveat where you can disagree if you want, but you can't actually disagree. So it was this big, just cluster cuss. Haha, you don't have to bleep me. Of, <laughs> of, well, then who do I listen to? Am I supposed to? Or can I just say, sweet, I don't care about that one. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Seek the yeah. witness of the resurrection, the atonement, and the character of Jesus, and do, and then this is my exegesis of his talk. Do all this stuff we think is important, and spend the rest of your life doing whatever we tell you to. Wait, Greg, what does that big word that you used mean? Uh, oh. I think it has something to do with Jesus, but um, <laughs> I just was repeating it. But my my biggest hang up about this talk is that he starts it off saying the apostles in Jesus's time set up all these things to try and stave off apostasy. They, you know, they were banding together. They were trying to like form this thing, and it and it didn't work. And so Joseph Smith had to restore it. But isn't it great that he restored it? Because now we have those all those same rules that are going to help us stave it's off exactly the same. And it doesn't do a damn thing. <laughs> and we have two hundred offshoots of the Mormon Church to show for it. But it just feels like D. Todd Christofferson is the prime example of who rises up in the church, people who are very comfortable in rules and feel the spirit that way. They, they don't understand. They're very scared of this idea of like, love everyone. Nothing matters. There's no chain of command. Like anyone can access God. That is very like scary to that type of person. And so it's, it's interesting for me to watch them talk and how it comes out, how they see the world so differently from me. And it's just, yeah. Mind-boggling. I think Christofferson is giving Bednar a run for the money on taking over the Packer chair. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Speak, speaking of speaking of races, I think that leads us to the eternal race. Let's go or, to the eternal race. Tom Monson got up. He had a teleprompter, so he was himself. He was not. He was he, the sen the senility was not coming through. Tell us about tell us about Tom Monson. Who wants to take that? 
Oh, I just want to say my problems that he started out with were so first world problems. And I felt bad <laughs> for people in Africa. Like I thought he was about to tell us, hey, let's reduce our petroleum dependence because he talks about planes and cars and we're all going around. He's like, stop using oil. I thought that's what he was going to say. <laughs> I was hoping. You're a hippie. He's not going to say that. <laughs> you live in a fantasy well, He's a, he's a prophet, life. right? He's a prophet. Tell us we're going we're gonna to kill ourselves, right? Like, let's, if you felt the fear during that part, that's what he was saying, Isaac. That is true. I think so. No, that's good. That's <laughs> And That's what we just learned. I think he was feeling his own mortality. There was a lot of talk about death. In yeah. Oh, he's particular. been talking about candles going out and the dark night creeping in for 30 years. But one thing that he said at the very beginning, which I, I've always loved about him, where he always talks about, you know, the things of the world don't matter. It's love and the family. That's what I've always loved about Monson. But it seems so ironic at this point in church history with the building of the mall, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Yeah. It felt very weird that he's telling us, don't be committed to things of this world, but we've given you this place to shop. <laughs> One, two, three, Bravo. let's go shopping. Um, Bravo, well said. Weird. Yeah, no, that's really great. I, I mostly felt like it was just it was just trademark Monson problem. I mean, he he really has not given a significant talk in general conference for a decade. It, 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 it's just yeah. the no, same Greg, he's crap given, over and over Greg, he, He's given one significant talk for the last decade. That is true. Over and over. Substitute <laughs> over, in. Over. Repeatedly. Yeah. Repeatedly. Can I tell you, when I was 10 and I found out that I had to wait through Gordon B. Hinckley to get Thomas Monson as a prophet, I was bummed. And now I don't understand why. But I was 10, so maybe that's why. He, he's really good to talking flare. to 10-year-olds. I, like, I feel like the candle has been put out already. I feel like he's lost the flair. It's really, it's really disappointing. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up uh, – Tommy didn't want to miss his chance at the anti-intellectual sputum. He says, yeah. answers to the questions of life are not discovered within the covers of academia's textbooks or by checking the internet. Don't use Google. Don't read because you but won't I'm find anything worthwhile. But I'm going to quote all these books for some reason. I'm going to quote Wordsworth. We can quote Wordsworth, <laughs> but other intellectuals. Or no, we're going to reference good. a former atheist who was a socialist proponent with the, uh, the Blashford story. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, I noted the anti-intellectual talk uh, moment again so that brings us up to three significant ones in this in this general conference session alone um packer didn't even need to speak to tell us that intellectuals are enemies of the church but even going at that part of his talk i did like when he talks about the universal question where did we come from because i think that is that's the only thing that's ever connected me with religion in any way and i even see it sprouting in my little five-year-old she's like why, why did this people thing happen and um, and so I think that is one thing that is good about religion, but it's not necessarily – we don't have the answers. It's nice to have the question is all I like. But. Yeah, I think that um, – again, I'm, I'm not a denominationalist here, but, but I, do, I do appreciate that uh, secularism is missing out on, on that side of things, is addressing some of the metaphysical questions in, right. in poetic ways that, that feed our souls. And so – I agree with you. That's one of the things that I keep coming back to religions for. You know, it's really interesting that you both mentioned that because one of the things that I noted over and over again in this session in general, and we can sort of wrap this up, is uh, um, is that the paradigm that I am in does not even entertain those questions. And it's interesting. Like, I, I just don't think about that question. I know sometimes secularists do wring their hands at what does life mean but we can't know so I, I usually just go back to well let's make some something good to eat and enjoy each other's company so um you know try and make the world a better place 
and it's interesting to see how those fundamental paradigms create the question that's going to be asked you know and i feel like that is it that is an instance of this you say well where did we come from what a religious question to ask you know you don't ask that unless you are sort of in a paradigm that that makes that be a question that needs to be asked and um i i, I wouldn't argue with either of you in terms of sort of the beauty of probing the the meaning of life and everything um but I do think we see that those are questions that we only ask because we're kind of primed in a way. And I, I could be wrong. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with that in one sense because I okay. think that the, that the study of evolution is in, is in itself this question. Where did we come from? Amen. And I think that in that, that pursuit, science becomes – I'm a scientist. Science becomes a very spiritual pursuit in a broad sense. We, we're jaded on the idea because we've you – know, there's some baggage that comes with calling things spiritual or religious, but I think that inherently, you know, philosophy was the root of science. That's a good yeah. Okay, that's a great point. I can, see, I can see Greg's cyclical point. I mean, you don't – the question about where we're coming from is one question, and another question is about where are we going, and that leads to religion, and religion leads to all these ideas about where we actually are going, and it, it feeds itself. I mean, it just – makes the question deeper and harder to answer the more religion you add to it i think it becomes circular unless you unless you employ a systematic methodology which is again what science is that's why we say let's not make it a circular thing let's make it an efficient method of investigation and inquiry question yes yeah no that's great one thing that just occurred to me also is that you evolution answers the question where did we come from Mm. and religion tries to answer the question where did I come from? And so there's where, a where is my where where is my where is my individuality? Where is my being? What is yeah. that? Yeah, we we call those self interested questions. We call that an eternal perspective, where we say that's the bird's eye view. Is where did I come from? No, the bird's eye view is where did we come from? What are we doing about us? So I agree with that. Yeah, we call it eternal, but I think it's it's much more immediate and selfish. All right. Well, so any any other thoughts on Monson? He did say that we're not supposed to bob along the stream and just go with the flow. We're supposed to reason, and we were given the power to think. He did say that. But right after he said it, he I, I know, I know, don't shh. No, because I know I said I was like, oh wow, he's touting the power of reason, and then I said, oh wait, he's talking about prayer and using the scriptures. Not that those are bad things, but they're not the same thing. You know, I don't know. Right, but they were listed second. Whitney, yeah. any other last thoughts there? No, just that he called all of us apostates back yeah, at the end of his talk. I did get that. Said, come go back. ahead and come back. Come back, oh, come in, come uh, home, come unto me. Oh, he did? Oh, let's go. Yeah, he did. But he oh, said, yeah. he said I, I thought he said it in terms of like Christ and I don't know. I was feeling it in a very universal way, like come back to happiness and be be in the love that you, I think you can come home without going to church every Sunday. Yeah. I'm too cynical to take that reading at this point. (laughs) No, but it was a lovely poetic little thought. I think that it had the rescue program sent kind of undercurrent to it, but I agree that I think you can come into yourself and come into your own awareness of reality and things like that without being, yeah, be at peace with who you are. Absolutely. All right, guys. Fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. The conversation will continue on the web, on the uh, website, mormonexpression.com. And uh, enjoy the rest of your brain damage uh, in the afternoon session. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. 
All right. We're here for the fourth and final session. Do we count the priesthood session as number No, number not five? unless you count the young women. Then we're session. the sixth session, right? Yes. But this is the fourth and final session, the Sunday session. Um, we call it the... Um, Boring session. The cleanup session <laughs> where all the 70 who have to earn their, their jump wings go to talk. Um, so it's not always the most exciting session, but it is ours, and we will make the best of it. <laughs> I'm here with the um, ever-present and uh, divinely inspired Zilpha. Hi, Zilpha. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. And we're being joined by um, another couple, the McRory's. Mike has been with us before on a couple of conference sessions, have you not? Yeah, I think I've done one Sunday and a couple of priesthood. Well, welcome back. And he has brought um, his lovely wife, Anne. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. This isn't your first stop in the den of iniquity. No. Nor will it be your last. (laughs) (laughs) But this is her first time being recorded. Yes. Are you nervous? I'm very nervous. Is it scary? It is scary. It's like intimidating. (laughs) It is. But these mics are so soft and fluffy. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're so soft now. It's what's on the other end of the mic that's scary. Uh, No one listens to this stuff. (laughs) All right, so we're going to go through, uh, we just we just watched um, conference, and, and, you know, praise to the church on its technological advancements. Um, you know, when we started this podcast three years ago, we used to have to go to conference, <laughs> and we didn't even have to go to the priesthood session. They broadcast it the next day, and we watched this one real-time, streamed through the internet in HD, um, and the church's policy of the geriatric leadership is starting to um, show cracks, literally, in HD. <laughs> Some of them looked quite lovely. They, 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 they look nice. Um, elderly, in an elderly sort of nice looking way. Uchtdorf still looked okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of Herr Uchtdorf, he, um, he did um, conduct this uh, the last session. And uh, we were led out by um, L. Tom Perry, probably the heir apparent, um, uh, Elder Packer is next in line to take the mercy seat, but um, he's not looking too good. So, um, so Brother Perry will probably be the next president of the church. Now, granted, they're all kind of up there. I mean, no one would be surprised if any of them dropped dead from a stroke at any given time. I yeah. mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything, but we, 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 we never know. But um, Tom, L. Tom Perry gave a gave a good old fashioned talk. I I liked it, but it was boring for me. It was about the Book of Mormon, um, but. Instead of uh, just a talk on what you should and shouldn't do and why you can't tell us what doctrine is, he just went to good old-fashioned, let's talk about Mormon doctrine talk. So kudos to Brother Perry. Um, he said the Book of Mormon is a tender mercy of the Lord because it was preserved for us in these latter days. And he also um, he gave stories of deliverance from the Book of Mormon. King Limhi. Um, who else was delivered? There's a lot of stories about yeah, the uh, yeah people who were supposed to be del- or wanted to be delivered, but they weren't oh, righteous enough. Yeah, and the Lord so, was slow to hear their cries. Yeah, because they were wicked because of their iniquity. But then, like the poor in spirit and the people who were living righteously asked him, and he delivered them right away. Right, but funny, funnily, fun, funny, funnyingly, <laughs> the, the people who were in iniquity figured it out for themselves, and they they got out of the bad situation with or without his help. Wasn't that sort of, didn't they I, figure it out? 
I kind of zoned out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did. He uh, he made the comment. Hope I don't jump on you here. That uh, neither the Book of Mormon nor the Bible stand alone or are sufficient by themselves. You have to have one with the other, which yes. uh, I, I I thought was interesting. Well, you mean because the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel? Well, apparently not. It needs <laughs> it needs it needs the Bible to support it, and uh, yep. And, and then he shared the story at the end about uh, Abraham and Lot, um, which uh, the the quote I liked was "I don't know, but I believe." Mm. And then yeah. he like well, jumped through a whole bunch of this happened, which had nothing to do with the story he was sharing, and then this happened, and well, it was about he, the way the 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 direction that the door of their tents was facing. Yeah, yeah. And he knew that Lot's door faced. Sodom, which uh-huh. led to Lot's downfall, or led to a lot of the problems in his life yeah. somehow, and um, he thought that Abraham must have put his tent door towards the altar. Yeah. That was what he was concluding, because Benjamin, King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon, had asked everybody to face their tent doors toward towards him, the Ramiamtum. Wait, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't he on a tower? He was on a tower, yeah, yeah so the yeah. tents faced the tower. Well, yeah, and but because of that, then Abraham's tent obviously must faced have the altar, faced the altar, and not the is, wicked city. Yeah, what, but he didn't really say how that made any sense or why we needed to know that. It, it was what he concluded, and he believed to be true, even though he didn't know. Well, um, but good for Brother Perry for uh, bringing out the Book of Mormon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. The next talk was by um, um, Russell Ballard, um, also of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Um. um he started out with an old guy lament about GPS devices and not knowing how they worked and how that's like the Liahona. It wasn't um, a lament. He was like, GPS units are awesome. And I don't know how they work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, I don't know how the Liahona would have worked and I don't really understand how the spirit works. Um, and <laughs> not to be, not to be catty, but, um, we did notice in HD that, um, he was kind of wrinkly everywhere except his forehead. I wonder if the old, old Ballard's hitting the Botox. I, mean, I just, am not going to speculate. Just that out there. So the GPS devices. He talked about um, promptings of the Holy Ghost. Um, but a lot of his talk was really about families and that basically secularism is ruining families. Yeah, yeah. He brought up this has been this has been. No, his was even weirder than that. Well, he, he started with the polygamist, the quote by the polygamist about how families are the source of <laughs> happiness. Right, and but. But then he was saying how um, how oh, this is a problem of poor people, and oh, instead yeah, of being right. um, the the cause of them being poor, was actually because their commitment to family was low. Yes. Yeah. Now go ahead. The, the the nation's lost its respect for family, or the, the, the nation's lost its respect for marriage. Yeah, this was a standard like statistical rant about. Marriage and babies are born under 30. You know, most of the babies born under 30 are out of wedlock and half the couples get divorced. But the, the new thing he threw into that sort of thing was the gap between the rich and the poor. Mm-hmm. And he actually, he actually put together, um, uh, secularism and materialism, which I mean, I must correct him that those two don't necessarily go together. You don't have to be, no. there's plenty of materialists who are in the church. Um, but they're materialists because they have wealth, and they have wealth 
because of how righteous they yes, are. Yes, uh, and that, that's that's the, the the point. Through the rest of his talk, he he very closely linked wealth and righteousness. As a matter of fact, he gave it as the argument for righteousness, saying um, that the prosperity and education are connected to people in stable families. Yes, and then he he said, "Well, we know that it's not." He actually even brought it up. Said, "Well, there's a." causality problem of established we have um you know um connectivity we don't necessarily have causality um and then but he said but we know in the church that there's a causality he said the wealthy are more committed to family values right you know to me these are all manifestations of stability in the in the home but you know, he which, said the commitment came first and then the wealth and education right but he he never makes the case you know he does a sleight of hand he never makes the case that the 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 um, lack of people getting married is leading to less stability in the home, for example. You know, no, that, he that, just said that because people who are less educated and poor are less likely to marry and more likely to have kids outside of marriage and more likely to be involved in crime and less likely to go to church, therefore, their commitment to family is the cause of all, the, of all that stuff. Their lack of commitment to family. Yeah, but I don't... I, from my experience, the poor are the ones that go to church. They're the ones more willing to, you know, accept Christ into their lives. Yeah. But not in America, maybe. Oh, maybe. I guess that's more. Yeah, he, he actually said full-on less educated okay. and lower incomes, less likely to be married and go to church. Um, but he didn't cite his sources. So. No. He didn't. And, but I, and I know uh, it seems to me there's conflicting data there because I know there is an in, um, a connection between secularists and increased in education. But you know, this is this is America, where um, very intelligent, even heart surgeons, can sometimes deny the very foundation <laughs> of science. Um, but I'll leave that to a previous session. And, oh, and he also said so. The way to sort of fix our society and and communities is for families to come together, work and play together, and then the communities will flourish. Well, I, I think the biggest problem with this talk, the biggest fallacy, is he shoots an arrow at a barn, then draws a target around it. Because he, he, he's, he's talking about happiness, but then he defines happiness as success in the church, the things that we say are happiness. Because it might be that getting pregnant at, at 27, never getting married, and not being involved in church makes somebody perfectly happy. You know, um, They're not truly happy. Yeah, they, th- they think exactly. they are. They're not. They're it's, not. it's a no true Scotsman <laughs> argument. He's saying, well, well there, there's all this stuff changing from what we define our core values. Because he kept saying values, values, values. Uh-huh. But, and rich people have values. Poor people don't. Well, having children in an unmarried state might very well be somebody's mar- somebody's values. Um, so, so, so th- this is something that happens all the time, all the time. People say morality when they really mean my morality, right? Because somebody else might be doing something that they think to be moral. Like the polygamists down in Colorado City are ma- are, are are having polygamist mar- polygamist marriages because they believe that to be the moral practice. Then we look on our high high horse and say, oh, they're all immoral down there. Well, they're, they're immoral according to our moral standards, but not according to theirs. So you can't just say values, because yeah. what everybody who says that is, is really saying my values. You're not conforming to my values. Um, yes, he did say wrong is portrayed as right and right as wrong. Mm-hmm. But he said, um, oh, this was, re- this sort of got me. He said, the gospel of truth and light attracts the honest and honorable and moral people of the earth. So obviously, if you're not yeah. attracted, by the gospel, you are what? Let's see. Immoral, in, dishonest, dishonorable, and immoral. Right. Something's wrong because as our income 
as we've left the church, our income has increased. So I don't know what we're doing wrong. <laughs> maybe. Right. I, maybe I still believe and I don't think I do. I, I, I don't know. He does give another backhanded insult to women um, when he says that all the sisters would marry if they could. Like, again, portraying all the women in the church, the single women in the church, is pining over men who won't, who won't pay any attention to him. And he admonishes the men to get married. <laughs> Yes. He said the church is the mooring. The church, not the gospel, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. is the mooring in the tempe- tempestuous sea of change. He also said the church is the anchor. Yes. Which. Come on, let's not mix our metaphors. <laughs> Only one seafaring metaphor per conference talk. I thought that was clearly specified in the handbook of instruction. He did have, you brought up the, uh, the gap between the rich and the poor. He had a lot of political buzzwords in there. He did, yeah. Uh, most of them from the, the right hand side of the aisle, the rich and the poor, I think was more left. Now, um, and then- ba- Ballard, just as a matter of history, is our, you know, a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the general authorities were lawyers and doctors and MBAs. Ballard was a car salesman. Mm. So I think he's probably a little bit more uh, on the, the, the tea party scale, scale of things. Uh, <laughs> I got that. Impression. More shooting from the hip, you know. Oh, he, he, he said, um, living the gospel will lead your, well, and you're supposed to help your children to stay away from the filth on the internet. Yeah. And that people should do things in the right order. And he was getting pretty feisty, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah a little bit. And, um, marriage and then family. And if you're worried about marriage, you can remove that fear with faith. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was a standard, let's look at all the ills in society and blame them on, not being part of the church. Yes, and yeah. then he, he he went and and named all the blessings or all the the um, things that the church tends to do better on than the rest of the world. Like mm-hmm. they live a few few years longer. Yeah. They have a slightly lower divorce rate. But there was no. I don't know if there's any data that backs yeah, that up. Yeah, because so. he said if they got married in the temple and then kept going to the temple, that there was a lower divorce rate. But where are you going to get that? If they well, were, and, and if well, they're active, yeah, and got married in the temple, then they have a lower. And I, I think there is, there has been studies that. Yeah, but how happy are they? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, obviously they're happy if they're active. I, you know, a lot of this stuff gets tied into the fallacy, like we're talking about. If you keep going to the temple, that probably means you're happy with the church. If you keep going to the temple, your spouse, you're probably happy with your spouse. You. You, you know, the, so those sort of things can self-select. Well, and another thing is it's it's a bigger taboo to get a divorce after right, you, right, that, when you're yeah. an active temple-married couple. It's hard. There, we have all mm-hmm. met lots of people in the church who despise their spouse, basically. Yeah. But they would never consider getting divorced it's because it's wrong. Because you just don't mm-hmm. do yeah. that. And they just yeah. stick together, and that's that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Now, what they will do, and, and this kind of sums up this whole talk, they'll define that as happy. They'll say, here we can show that Mormons are happier because they have a lower divorce rate. That lower divorce rate might mean a higher degree of misery, you know, for heaven's <laughs> sakes, because somebody who somebody who values happiness or someone who does does not value happiness is never going to consider getting a divorce if they're unhappy. That's true. Yeah. So, so uh, he he said some he stuck something in there right at the end that that um made me a, a little upset is and that is that he told the women that no no career can equal the satisfaction of raising a family. He warned women against taking that path. Yep. All right, our next talk was by Vincent Holling of the 70. Um, nothing remarkable here. After all the emphasis about doing stuff as a family, he talked about his parents sending them away. Mm-hmm. So them they can have a better life. From Samoa to the United States yeah. to yeah. Um, get better educations. And then he um, got onto the whole, you have to have a vision. Let's see, the, the importance of having a vision and yes. having the vision and then acting. And, and then he tied that into missionary work. 
That's basically it. Um, yeah. The the next member of the seventy was Wilson. Um, what was his first name? Larry K. Wilson. Larry Wilson. Um, Larry W. Larry w. Why? <laughs> why? I, I was away. Oh, I think the other credibility. Oh, yeah, it is why. It is why. I, I didn't even know his it is first name. <laughs> This talk was directed at me, though. You know, the, to all oh. righteous mothers out there. Because his wife had a lead, lead foot and oh, no, no, has no, no, a lead no. foot. Uh, after that, um, when he was uh, talking about parents who manipulate and control their kids. Um, you do that? No. But uh, I, was, <laughs> well, I was, what's the word? Manipulative oh, controlling? Your he, he, own shared, he shared a story about his uh, daughter. Had an, his daughter was in a soccer game. Uh, she got into the championship and the final mm-hmm. game was on a Sunday. And they didn't want to compel her to make the right decision. They didn't want to make her. They yeah. wouldn't want to make her. And uh, they did want to compel her. <laughs> they wanted to. Yeah, that's they right. wanted to guilt. But he was her. talking about unrighteous dominion and uh, flashbacks to my youth of being told I could make a decision and three hours of lectures about what the right decision was, but that it was my decision. And yes, the, this... I made the right. I made the right decision for me, but it wasn't the right decision for them. And so there was guilt and manipulation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. Four or five hours later, with much tears and just wanting it all to be over, I You're made like, the decision fine. they wanted me to make. I'm sorry, mom um, and dad. If, yeah. people, <laughs> if people really want to understand um, the way Mormons sort of think and act, this this talk is a brilliant study in Mormon passive aggressive um, parenting because he talks a story, like you said, you know, about the the daughter wanted to play on Sunday, so they as parents pray about it. And, well, they and read scriptures with her first. Read scriptures about yeah. it, and give her a lecture, tell her why it's not right. Told they, her to pray about it. Then they tell her to go pray about it, and she comes back and says, I'm fine with it. And then they go through another round of this. Mm-hmm. And then they uh-huh. say, are you sure? Blah, 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 blah. Um, so, so, you know, she's got hours and hours of lecture disproving parents, telling her how bad it is. She goes to church all the time, saying not. And then she plays. And then at the end, she comes After to. After the game. And he didn't say if she, she won or lost. She comes yeah. to she comes to her parents and say, yeah, I felt bad. Well, of course she felt bad. I mean, that's, that's what they'd been loading the gun up to do. And I'm yeah. sure mom was on the. I don't know, but I believe. <laughs> The mom was on the sidelines in her church clothes, probably crying right. because her daughter was out breaking the Sabbath. And what kid doesn't want that? Yeah. No. Yeah. So, 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 you know, his talk is on unrighteous dominion, which is good, which is necessary in the church and begs all kinds of questions about the way the church is run. But we'll put that aside for now. But then, you know, then he, he, he talks of the statement value and purpose of obedience. You know, they can't get away from from talking about unrighteous dominion without putting it on the shoulders of those who have to obey. The, 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 you know, it's, it's, like, it's like they start heading to the right place, but they always take the wrong left turn. Well, they, the, the focus isn't on the dominion, which is the problem. You shouldn't be dominating other people or manipulating them. They always, there seems to be an emphasis on the unrighteous part of it. But righteous I, dominion's cool. You can manipulate people as long as you think you're doing the right thing. Right, right. Well, yeah. well, they they say you can't force people to do the right thing, and that compulsion makes people feel incompetent. If you're yeah. if you're making them do something, then they feel like they can't do it or they can't make decisions for themselves. Right. There was one thing that redeemed the whole talk, which was for me. good. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I I thought it was a good talk, and and what redeemed it all for me is is he talked about because of people's actions that that individuals. Um, lose their trust in God's love, or, or basically, if if you run a heavy-handed, you know, tight ship, um, then they won't see this this more Loving simple God. Christian gospel message, um, be, because it gets interfered by you and your and your well, what, priesthood authority. Don't people oftentimes um, sort of see God the way they see their dad? 
I think that's that's common. You know, people that, that's been argued that everybody sees God as just an extension of their father, and I think by extension they see God as an extension of a, of a, of authority. So the way the church runs and operates is the way people are going to model God, and the church basically says that that there's this divine order of things that starts in the temple, and they're just following instruction and and whatever the stake president says, what the area authority tells them, and on on up to to, to Jesus. So I, I think that's a really good um, admonishment. I would because there's so many lay leaders in the church, you know, bishops and stake presidents, my, my advice to them would make this a stronger message. And you don't have to blame the victim in the middle of the talk. You don't have to talk about <laughs> obedience, you know. Um, he, he did um, name drop Monson. He said in his biography, it talked about Ann Dibbs, who we, um, I just learned recently is the first counselor in the Young Women's Presidency. Or a second counselor, one of those. Um, and the the thing that that Monson would do when Anne would walk into the house is he'd say, "Anne's his daughter-in-law, right? No, it's no, his, his daughter. daughter. It's his daughter. Yeah. Oh, look who's here, and aren't we glad? And isn't <laughs> she beautiful? And that would always make Anne feel special. Hmm. So that's the kind of father everyone should be, apparently. All right. The next seventy was David F. Evans, um, and he talked about efforts for reactivation. Nothing real notable there. <sighs> it, it was just your regular vanilla missionary talk, but I, I, it wasn't offensive or anything. No, no. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. He did say work. to teach children the principles of the gospel and prepare them for their eight-year-old baptisms. Yeah. I missed, missed that. I missed that was that right at the beginning. Oh. Um, our next member of the 70 was Paul Piper. I like his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, he He... He talked about the sacred. The sacred. And if you were to play a drinking game with this talk, <laughs> oh, you'd have been hammered. You would have been, you'd be dead by the end of it. <laughs> um, and, and so he kind of started out by talking about recognizing the sacred. And this is a typical, you know, Mormon thing where he says you recognize the sacred and then he immediately tells you what it is. It's authority, scriptures, and prophets. Well, he tells you it's, it's difficult to distinguish, but you have to live your life by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this this is this is a sleight of hand that, that happens in the church all the time. He says sacred is sacred because its source is is heavenly, and because of the structure of the church and how they claim to be spokesmen for for the divine, they can just kind of play the sacred umbrella over everything they do, so that you can't have any opposition or any criticism or even point out that something might not be the you know just like you might you can't even have a better idea. Right. He said sacred things are to be treated with care and deference. And he, he said about not being able to um, to interpret them correctly. He said feelings and interpretation, feelings and impressions are so subtle that we may attribute them to reason or intuition. Yeah, <laughs> of course we may. Hmm. The, the second half of his talk, he talked a lot about um, the opposition of he 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 juxtaposed sacred to the secular. And, um, you know, he, opposite of sacred is profane or secular. Yeah, he, he said the opposite is secular, but then he went on to say that the secular is, is needed and is valued. Um, and is, he said knowledge of the secular is essential, but sacred trumps that. My challenge to somebody who has the priesthood and has this divine church, and I have read enough of church authorities. The pro- just prophets, seers, and revelators tell you they have said something clearly on every th- everything you could possibly need to know. You do not have to open a textbook. They've spoken on every subject, <laughs> from what kind of grain to eat to you. As a good Mormon, you do not have to make any decisions. The the brethren have spoken everything you need to know to live this life. So I don't understand his contention that you have to learn to to put the sacred in. If the sacred is profane, you don't need it at all. Like, wh- why go to college? Just pray, right? 
Yeah. One thing that was disturbing <laughs> is that he said there those who choose to abandon even one sacred thing will find themselves morally adrift on a secular sea. Yes. Now can this this there were a few talks and this one kind of capped it off for me. Um when I left the church, there were a number of experiences that led me there, but the most impressionable one for me was I'd prayed because the church is a big deal. The go- well, the gospel is a big deal, and this was my entire family's future at stake. And I had prayed, and I would fasted, and I was doing—I wasn't looking at porn. I was reading the Book of Mormon. I was doing everything I possibly could to get an answer to a prayer. And I had my—I received an answer to a prayer wherever it came from that told me the church was not true. Very, it was a very sacred and very strong and powerful thing for me. Um, maybe but it was it reason or intuition. Anything here? It, it, <laughs> I know where it came from now, but it just didn't fit within these talks. They kept talking about how you know you listen to the promptings of the spirit. My promptings of the spirit, or whatever it was that I got, have led me in a direction completely opposite from everything that was said in this conference. Right. Well, it obviously wasn't the spirit then, because the spirit how, only witnesses you, of the truthfulness of the church and of you know, the gospel. Which, yeah, yeah it, 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 it's just an interesting sort situation of, for me. Yeah. It was a completely, a New very experience. sacred experience for me that is completely opposite to everything here. Well, what, 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 I, what I find, I, and I, I think all people, whether they be secularist or religious people, have what they would define as sacred experience. What, what I find um, annoying about the church and about conference, I mean, they have 10 hours. They do twice a year. They could start getting into some details. You are a member of the seventy. You, you are you are uh, in the old days of the church. They would have called him an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why don't you tell us? Why don't you give us some guidelines as to what in the secular we should avoid? It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. We're all running into the same sort of stuff. Well, and- filth on the internet. They did mention that. Well, I mean, they don't want us looking at boobies. That, that's that's <laughs> that's clear. But I mean, I I hope this wasn't just a talk about. Porn again. I mean, no, I no. didn't get the feeling yeah. it was. No, it's just about um, obeying the promptings that you get that lead you to Christ and the church. All I'm saying and is. And ignoring everything that leads you away. On this from end of the scale, you have don't wear two earrings, like very minutiae. Very specific. Don't look yeah. at naked bodies, very specific. And over here, you have this thing way up in the, in the air. These guys are supposed to have God's word for us today. Earrings is not one of the big problems. I, I dare I say even porn is not one of the big problems in, in the world today. Um, what would you say is a big problem in the world? Like religion, global terrorism, and and hunger, and and I mean there 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 are huge problems we're dealing with well, from a from a believing standpoint. The you know the question of like the origin of man, evolution. You know so much. Ninety percent of what you're going to read in your textbooks, you know, on a freshman level in college, contradicts teachings of the prophets, seers, and revelators. Why don't they get into that? Give us a guide to living in a secular world instead of just saying um, some PG-13 movies are okay, R-rated movies should be avoided. Uh, Because they don't have a good response to secularism. All they can say is it's scary out there and you need to stay close to home and close to church. But they They should have a good response. They should. that's, That's the problem. Right, but they don't. They don't know what to say or do. It's like what, what's actionable, and when they give actionable stuff, it, it's it's like it's like nonsensical. Skinny jeans, really? That's that, that's that's the problem. But they're so sexy. 
<laughs> and, and the problem with that legalistic um, tradition is it, is it leads to problems where, where you say things like, oh, Sister Jensen graduated from college, has a career. She didn't find anybody to get married, so she went down to the fertility clinic and got herself impregnated. She's... Because you wanted to That's be a obviously mother. bad because mothers have to be in marriages. But you can have brother and sister Smith who have 17 kids. They fight like cats and dogs. They're poor. They make bad decisions, but they're okay because they go to the temple. Every, you know, that's what happens when you have a legalistic system because you, you, you just define these black and white rules and, and you're not able to say, you know, make, make good. Why, why don't they give better guidance? You know? Wait, first you say you don't like a legalistic system and then you say you want more specifics. Okay, once again, go to a college course. Like that, they, they they will teach you the principles of physics, like the the laws of physics, and then they will teach you application. And as a matter of fact, what the tests usually do is they will show problems that you've never seen before to make sure you understand those principles. So they take these abstract principles of the universe and apply them so that you can go and make widgets and refrigerators and stuff like that. Right? That's the value of physics. Now, they could go down in a third-grade sort of style because the church is still teaching third-grade physics uh, and just tell you that, that if, you, if, you drop, if you drop a clay ball from the ceiling, it'll hit the floor. That's what the church yes. keeps telling you over and over again. So I'm saying there's, there's these two scales. There's one where you're completely philosophical in the abstract. They have words like, you know, charity is the pure love of God that mean nothing to anybody, right? Or you can get down, don't wear two earrings in your ear. There's this vast middle. And why don't these guys take some time to go in the middle, you know? Because every time they do... Then I'll criticize them for that, too. Yes. <laughs> right. They can't say anything that they wouldn't get criticized about. So they prefer to just say what's in the scriptures. Uh, I suppose. I mean, my, my criticism, to, to be fair, to, to be fair is, is a little bit, you, they can't win. But um, they're the ones who are saying they're prophets, seers, and revelators. They're the ones who are saying they're their only true church and that they speak for the world today. Right. You know? And almost every one of them, surprisingly, said... You know, the apostles are the are the chosen witnesses for God. Right. They they. I say, mean, they say that of themselves. And they say over and over again, look to the prophets and pro look to conference. And I'm saying I'm looking to conference, and I'm not walking away with even knowing what Mormons are supposed <laughs> to be doing differently. Or you know, so so I I don't I don't think that I and we'll 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 give the wrap up here in a second. Let's move on to um. <laughs> Let's move on to Neil Anderson of the Twelve, the junior apostle. Or is Cook? This is, um, Who's I the, think Cook's An ahead of Anderson. I think Anderson is the I baby. I remember Cook getting in. I don't remember Anderson. Yeah, I don't either. In, so. And he was the only one that was of the Twelve. Well, at the end. Well, uh, there were two at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Bednar oh, and... Oh, Bednar right, and, um, right, right. No, uh, no. Perry and... Perry and, uh, and Ballard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Um, Moral fiber is disintegrating the world. And the world is moving away from spirituality. Yeah, he talked about being a Christian. He talked about discipleship and, and obedience again. And but he did say there's a growing disbelief and disregard for Christ and His teachings. Yeah, let's 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 skip ahead to the wrap up. Uh, Monson, do, gave, do we want to hit the Haiti thing? Yeah, or? yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So just because you didn't write down any notes from this talk, John, doesn't <laughs> no, I got, mean. <laughs> No, I got one, two, three, four, five, six bullet points. Go ahead. Okay, so so the the story is there was this terrific, uh, there was a horrific uh, earthquake in Haiti at the beginning of 2010, and uh, there was a family where the dad was at work, the mom was at the church, um, and the three kids 
I think they're aged what seven, five, and three. Five, three, and one. Five, three, and one. Five, okay, and they one. were they were in the apartment being watched by someone. Uh, the earthquake hit and the building was flat. No, I don't think they were being watched by anyone. I, I think there yeah, was a friend. There was a friend with them or something. I, oh, oh, okay. So, so they were in the apartment. So they're in the apartment. Mom alone. was at church. Dad the, is at work. Uh, the earthquake hits. The apartment building is flattened. They arrive home and are just devastated that they've lost their kids. And uh, they pray and they plead with God. And they and, keep walking uh, around the rubble, listening. And the neighbors are trying to comfort them because they've lost their kids. And uh, he hears this little voice. He hears a baby's cry. And then he hears his oldest son singing, I am a child, I am a child of, God. of God, or whatever, I guess, the French version of that is. Um, and the, the neighbors all dig down there and they find the kids. All three and of them. All three of them. And um, God had saved them. It was a miracle for this family. But... Lots of other kids. All, all the Lots other parents other out there who were begging and pleading God to save their kids ignored were yeah. not faithful enough. Or and, and to me, this this really represents the schism. I mean, it's awful things like this happen, and it's joyful that they were able to be reunited with their children. But this is the real schism between a secular worldview and a religious worldview. In a secular worldview, tragedy happens. So we need to either stop tragedy where we can, so we have building codes to mm-hmm. keep buildings from collapsing during earth codes. That's a secular response. Or we form the Red Cross or other organizations like that. Or we're a helpful neighbor and help uh, undig a baby. Right. Yeah. We, we try to put in the social safety net. We try to make sure that we can, we can help. And when we look and say that tragedy happened, we're going to be like, tragedies happen, and we're all going to meet our ultimate fate at some point, but let's do what we can to mitigate it. Religious people, it's all voodoo on, on this side, and they will come and stand in front of, a, of an audience full of people whose children were crushed in buildings, talking about God's love was manifest in the fact that their children were saved, which is this backhanded slap in the face to, to, to everybody who, who, who it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they have no explanation for it, except that makes them more, more righteous. I read one time in, back in school or whatever, 5% of all cases of cancer go into, I think I've probably mentioned this before, go into um, spontaneous remission. Meaning if you do nothing with cancer, f- about 5% of the cases, will just the cancer will stop growing. Well, so that means if you were drinking Tahitian noni juice, it'll stop growing. If you were um, you know, praying to the Virgin Mary, it'll stop growing. If you were getting chemotherapy, it will stop growing. But, but no matter what you were doing, it'll stop. And people will attribute that to whatever it is they were doing. So those people who are a statistical anomaly, will then become more powerful in the community. Because the other people are tend to look at them and say, well, look at Brother Johnson. His children survived. That They're, they're special. They're chosen. Look at the story we give about Joseph Smith and his leg. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's exactly what they're saying is he didn't take a, a, a slug of whiskey. He saved that till later. <laughs> um, and, and he, and he was, uh, he, you know, he was able to be saved. He was chosen. He was touched by God, right? So, so this, statistically shoots buckshot into this crowd and then lets us pick our religious leaders leaders out of that and keep prevents us from doing anything to really to 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 solve the problem. See, Thanks. It was a good talk. There was a whole bunch of stuff in there. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> uh, should, should we just mention the President Monson visiting the 12-year-old cancer patient and in the uh, hospital giving her a blessing that she would be um, supported on both sides by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then as he was leaving, he gave her a balloon that, oh no, she gave him a balloon that said, you're great. You're the best. You're the best. You're the best. Yeah. One of her balloons. And then later when she was like 18 or so. Oh, was that when she was in her mission? Three or? years later, I think she came to visit him in his office again. 
And he gave her a balloon. The same, with yeah. the same saying. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he sealed her and a spouse yeah. together. Mm-hmm. He was the... Uh, uh, the stories about Monson are really cool, but I... I know people who've had experience with Monson that are complete opposite. Yeah, and there's He's lots got of a people. Huge temper, and it's just. There's lots of people that visit sick kids in the hospital uh-huh. and help them feel better. Um, Monson said again, "Oh, we're in troubled times. Troubled times." Um, guys, I, I, all right. Here's the here's the Larson rule. <laughs> you just got roped into this one. Oh, me? No, okay. uh, no, because my my rule from now on for everybody in the world. If they don't want to get poked in the nose by me, is if if they're going to say these times are troubled or the morality is slipping, they have to name me a year in which times were less troubled than now. Because it's true there are problems, but what year are you going to put out? You yeah. know, oh, 1917, 1413. <laughs> I mean, what, what, we can't constantly be having um, our morals go down and yes, down and we down. We can. We're at war with Eurasia. When, when was the? <laughs> we've always been at war with Eurasia. <laughs> When was the last time there was a there was a public hanging? I know the answer to that. It's 1956. Well, so, in the U.S., I'm sure it happens oh, in other oh, yeah, parts yeah, of the world. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, the U.S. is in the moral decay, so you'd expect. It to be <laughs> right. I, I have no doubt that the morals are always shifting, and for people who draw a moral line at one place and not the other, then then they they it'll look like a, a downward shift, but they don't pay attention to the morals that are shifting in other directions. Um, well, it doesn't serve their purpose, right? You, you know, you you need to turn to the church to save yourself from the awful world, and if yeah, the world's getting better. Yeah, the 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 church, the 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 church is a dispenser of medicine that has full interest in always keeping their patients unwell. What do they call that when you have? Uh, it was in the sixth sense where that woman was like feeding bleach to her kid to make her sick. And- oh yeah. yeah. Oh, Munchausers yeah. by proxy. Yeah. 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 The church suffers from a big cow case <laughs> of Munchausers by proxy. They 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 cure the Ill- well. They don't cure it. They treat the illness. But they make you they think cause. you're ill first. Yeah. But they're making you sick. Yeah. They're making you sick. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, they're never going to let you get better, which is oh. the problem that I have with all um with all Religion psychologists. And- oh, yeah, that too. What what interest do they have in you getting better? <laughs> yeah. Monson did declare that he's not, he's not. Not dead yet? No. (laughs) He's not more than mortal, but he was chosen by God. He did make that clear. All right. Well, um, I I just want to, that that was where the the talks of time. I just want to wrap up briefly with my overall impression of conference. Um, I'll, I'll say this after watching conference rather closely now for three years, and then something has changed this conference. Yes. The, the, it's a war against the secularism. They're scared, mm-hmm. and and they they acknowledge several times um, that that things have changed, that their history is being read, that the media is watching them, that you know they even took on things like the Big Bang. Um, <laughs> not a good move for you, Doctor Nelson. You're gonna get you're gonna get skewered on that one. <laughs> There's a talk I need to go listen to. Yeah, from, from he, the, he the said basically session. the Big Bang was ridiculous, and the conference center um. all laughed. So all you bastards out there who are who are apologists who tell me that the church is all evolutionist, and there you had thirty thousand people laughing at the Big Bang. Um, so yep. so we know the church is six thousand years. Go go. Whoop. Um, so, so, but the tone and tenor ha- has, has changed and, yeah, they um, sound, they sound a little bit more frightened and a little bit, um, but w- I was hoping that they would be more willing to talk about some of the, the issues, like you said, um, 
all I heard was really the um, the way Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. They didn't even say. Some of you may have heard that Joseph Smith put his head in a hat to translate the. He they just said it doesn't really matter how we yeah, translate the Book of don't Mormon. Look don't here. worry don't about that. Don't pay attention to this. That doesn't matter. What matters is that the Book of Mormon is yeah, divine. We're still the source for truth. And, and this goes to my rant from 10 minutes ago. They won't tell you what that truth is. They won't deal with the hard questions, you know. Right. Um, and, you know, the hard question is not where should your hemline be. It's, mm-hmm. it's. Why did Joseph look in a hat using a seer stone? And why didn't you let why, us know? Why, why didn't you tell it? us that? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why not just be honest about it? it from the front? If it's true, it doesn't matter where he got it from. Right. Just tell, yeah. just tell yeah. the truth. And there's things they've been trying to make go away for a long time, like polygamy, which they want to hold on to doctrinally, but, but tell the world that we don't practice that. But more and more, there's getting to be higher scrutiny. And I, I, I think that the, this is coming home. The, the church for a long time had a great policy, just like a lot of organizations, of speaking to the insiders one way and speaking to the outsiders another way, presenting a one face to the outside. And then, and that's all blowing to pieces in the age of Google. Who was it? I think oh, it was. Yeah, someone said, that was Google the, that. The, but be careful. The priest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was. We'll, 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 we'll review that a little later. But yeah, be careful. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I, I sense, I sense a tremor in the force. And I can see that from the outside. I think the rate at which people are leaving the church, the, the intelligence level and what they know is accelerating. There's a lot more people in the church who are having problems. Um, the, the hit rate on all the, the ex-Mormon sites is going way up. The church has a huge credibility problem, and they're throwing tons of dollars at it. Yeah, but they're using it for search op- uh, search engine optimization. Right. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're still trying to manipulate They're still trying to hide. Path, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and trying to direct people to, to faithful sites and, um, you know, and Controlling frankly, the message. be duplicitous. Mm-hmm. For the church, she used Brandon Flowers, the lead singer of The Killers. <laughs> Um, on one of their "I'm a Mormon" thing is is a, is a is 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 a bald faced lie, um, to suggest that Brandon would have any place in the church. Go listen to his music. I love the Killers. Thanks. All right. Okay. Any last uh, last thoughts? I'm just glad it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Officially over. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike and Ann, thanks for coming down here to Studio One A. Um, well, thank you. And, thanks for having uh, us. I can smell dinners wafting through the into the. The, behind the glass doors, so we're going to go eat. <laughs> so we're a bunch of rowdy kids. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye. Did we, uh, is it, is, are we supposed to say anything else? No. No. <laughs> All right. We're done. All eyes are on us. Now all eyes are on us.